0: Sugar for me, Sugar Daddy, bring it home Oh, the of control Like the blitzkrieg on the road It's the sweetest taste I've known Oh, yeah If you've got some sugar, bring it home
1: Oh, yeah Come on, Sugar Daddy
0: A water pick, a queasy knot, and a hypoallergenic dog Oh, I want all the luxuries of the modern age Every item on every page
2: In the Lillian Vernon Catalogue Oh, baby, something crossed my mind And I was thinking you'd look so fine
3: In a velvet dress
0: with heels
3: And an ermine style
0: oh
2: Luther darling heaven knows I've never put on women's clothes except for once my mother's camisole
0: so you think I'm only a woman
4: Came out as non-binary this week. John Cameron Mitchell there, Sugar Daddy, from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. You are an In Your Face on 3CR with James. Got some great guests this week. Kicking off with Bradley Storer, the wonderful cabaret artist and stage actor uh, from Melbourne. And I had the great pleasure, yeah, of chatting with him this week. Bradley, welcome back to the
5: program. Oh, thank you very much for having me back again. You are so busy and you're thriving. Where to start? Let's start with (laughs) Sense and Sensibility. Uh, Tell us all about it. Yes, please. But thank you for asking about it. So Sense and Sensibility is a new original musical adapted by director Shamini Kumar, who also wrote the lyrics for the show and with music composed by Daniel Hernandez. So it's based, of course, on the classic Jane Austen novel Sense and Sensibility, which has been Adapted many times before and of course has the big famous, uh, oh God, 1990s adaptation, I believe, with written and starring Emma Thompson. Um, And this is, it has been adapted as a musical before, but this is the first time it's been done in Australia, I think.
4: Fantastic. Now you play the uh, very dapper John Willoughby. Tell (laughs) us about that role.
5: Uh, um, Willoughby oh is uh, another one in the long line of uh, cad's and lotharios that I've played in my career. Uh, so John is, is the lover of one of the the central two characters, Marianne and Eleanor. He is the lover of Marianne, the younger sister. Um, and but no spoilers. But I'm like the story has been out for a few hundred years already. So but you should be across it by now. But he uh, ditches Marianne for someone richer. So you know. <laughs> very much on brand for me
4: you sound like you
5: know him so
4: well because oh. you play those villains so well <laughs> uh it sounds like you've got him down pat oh
5: uh, well I tr- try and bring a little bit more bur- complexity to Willoughby because of the Jane Austen villains I said you can't say but I'm doing the quotation marks here he's a little bit more but has a little bit more of a backstory um in that he bur- he does regret what he does to Marianne and he does try to provide an explanation. It's not a very good one because he is in some ways just very very shallow and very self-involved. So it's not great, but there is that little bit of complexity and a little bit of angst over what he's done. It
4: sounds like you have a bit of cynicism about the character that you're playing. Does that oh, come out uh, on stage?
5: I try not to because I feel that having cynicism about the character that you're playing... Maybe isn't great. I've also been rereading the original text and I'm just going, oh, like luckily in Shamini's adaptation, he's a more sympathetic character. But in the original text, I'm looking just going, oh, wow, he is very, oh, very cruel sometimes. I'm just like, oh, that's. Oh, like very, very witty, but also just very calculatedly cruel. I'm just like, oh, that's not very nice, John. Um, but on stage, a little less cruel, a little bit more complex, I feel. And across the board, Shamini does that with a lot of the characters in her adaptations. She tries to bring a little more humanity, a little bit more complexity to it than might be there originally on the page.
4: Um, <laughs> do you sing will we will we hear a singing <laughs> willoughby
5: yes you will hear a singing willoughby uh, you will hear me doing a wonderful duet with marianne played by the wonderful chloe Tuwan. Um, yes and also a few throughout the ensemble during the show during one of the show's many big ensemble numbers um, yes so very excited about that
4: now will we see you in any scenes with law burns
5: who's also <gasps> in the production <gasps> Funny you should ask, of course, because Law Bands and I were in D.L. Turnbull's early days, l- early last year. In this one, we actually, and uh, we've joked about it many times, we have no scenes together. <laughs> so from a piece where we're together on stage for about 50, 60 minutes to a piece where we're not in any scenes together at all.
4: But it's so exciting to have you both in the same production oh. again. Early Days was such a huge hit. You've got such a great chemistry. Oh, uh, yeah. You must be working together even though you're not on stage together. That must be oh.
5: fun. Oh, of course. Any chance to be in the same room with Laura, I'm happy for. So, of course, backstage always supporting each other and stuff like that. But, um, no, on, sta- uh, on stage, not at all. I'm very excited for Lore to be in this role. Um. Because, yeah specifically because uh law but who is a non-binary actor also is choosing to play their character edward ferrers who is in the original text a cis man uh is choosing to bring a level of gender complexity to it gender non-conforming and playing in the space of perhaps a non-binary identity or yes or a gender diverse individual which is Great, uh, A great angle to take on that character, and I know Sharmini has been very open to that interpretation and also has explored how that relates to Edward Ferrer's relationship to other characters, um, particularly the youngest of the Dashwood siblings. Of course, you have Eleanor, Marianne, and the youngest sister, Margaret, um, who in this adaptation, I, speaking to Sharmini, has uh, deliberately tried to place Margaret in terms of costume and how margaret is depicted as being because margaret is quite young is not of marriageable age yet is still living in a somewhat liminal space in terms of her identity so potentially is also having a sense of a non-binary identity or a gender diverse identity and so that and because edward ferris and margaret actually have a lot of interaction together that is one of their connections that they connect with each other because they are not necessarily belonging to a gender binary so that's a very very lovely uh, lovely angle that Shamini has taken with production that i know Laura has been wonderfully exploring
4: always topical especially topical <laughs> this week with john cameron mitchell
5: <gasps> yes i was coming just reading,
4: out as non-binary
5: i literally was just reading that article before this interview thank you Yes, yeah, so it. Yeah, um, no, that is very interesting because, yeah, I know it's a um, very complex issue because John Cameron Mitchell also created the iconic character Hedwig, um, which has been also, you know, in the last year, a couple of years in Australia, that was controversial with the casting of Hugh Sheridan in that role and the subsequent things that have played out since then. So, yeah, but John Cameron Mitchell coming out as non-binary, I'm just like, yeah, it's very topical.
4: Now, of course, you've got so much going on. Now, Sense and Sensibility is the 16th of March to the 20th yep. at Gasworks here in Melbourne. And prior to that, in fact, this Saturday uh-huh. night, the 12th of March, uh-huh. you're performing at Red Light Confidential in, uh, in, at 86 Bar in Collingwood. Tell oh, us yes about
5: that. Yes, I am. Yes, yeah, so this is my first time performing with Red Light Confidential. I'm very, very excited to be taking part in it. Um, of course, it's a, a ballest cabaret variety night with a large range of performers doing cabaret doing the performance doing aspects of drag performance so it's very very exciting and I'll be doing an act as part of the night um I'll be but just singing I'm not as talented as the other performers so I don't dance a lot but um, no that's very exciting I'm very very happy to be doing a cabaret gig in addition to doing some musical theater at the moment so you are thriving post-lockdown. <laughs> well, I'd like to think so, but no, uh, enjoying the opportunities I have when I get them. <laughs> what else is in the pipeline for you? Uh, some people might know that I had a cabaret planned for last year, my new cabaret work, Dark Prince, um, which was scheduled for August right, and then ended up, of course, being rescheduled because of the ongoing lockdowns uh, towards the end of last year. Um, and we are working at the moment, uh, me and my collaborator, David Butler, uh, organising a new date to perform that, which I'm very excited about. And it's been some, I was very disappointed not to be able to perform it at the time, but just sitting with it a bit longer has given me a bit more time to think about the themes. And of course, to think about the ideas that I wanted to talk about in it, which, you know, can only help. Um, So, yes, I'm very excited to be bringing that and, you know, bringing my new work to the stage for people to see. So that's exciting.
4: That's really exciting. Of course, you are, Noah. You're infamous, infamous (laughs) and famous for being the Dark Prince of Cabaret. Uh,
5: uh, It sounds like, yeah. I'm actually the Dark Princeling of Melbourne Cabaret, but I have a joke in the show. I'm just like, well, yes, it's Dark Princeling and the name of the show is Dark Prince. Um, And there's no reason for that. It's just because Dark Prince is an easier title to market. (laughs)
4: Yeah, and um, it's funny though, isn't it? Like you know, when we when we very first chatted, you were kind of you know wanting to, to shed that tag.
5: Now it sounds like you're embracing it again. Oh, I, but I would never want to shed that tag. I, but I, was, <laughs> I love that. But I love that tag. I love what I was given it, and I've loved it all these years. It's just you know there are ebbs and flows in people's artistic careers. So of course, maybe at that time I was just shifting my identity to some other things. But I would love that tag, and I'm always happy to embrace it.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were you were transcending, you know, into 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 serious acting. Then, of course, with early days, so maybe yes. you wanted some some respite from being the Dark Princeling of Katara. maybe
5: it's just so hard being that glamorous and just that debaucherous all the time. I mean, it is truly a burden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've shared the typecasting, though, haven't you? I mean, you've, you've done your serious acting. You're doing
4: your cabaret still. Uh, you're doing your burlesque. You know, you go back to being the Dark Princeling, you know, but you're not typecast. Wonderful.
5: Oh, that well, thank you. I'm just like, well, I'm as long as I can work and do what I love, I'm happy for any opportunity.
4: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Bradley, it's always great to chat with you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me today.
5: Thank you so much again for having me.
2: starfish for our eyes and your head is a big red balloon and under here your huge hand is heavy on my chest and under here sir your lovely voice retreats and yes you take my breath away look at my hair as it waves and waves are under here pretty hair, silver it is, and filled with silver bubbles, and under here my blood will be a cloud, and under here, sir, my dreams are made of water, and yes, you take my breath away. are piled high with stones and i cannot breathe
1: and tiny
2: little fishes enter me and under here i am made ready for you and under here sir i am glow with the greatness of my hate
1: for you.
4: Store there, covering Nick Cave's little water.
6: Angry at paying the heavy price for COVID? How about healthy, safe conditions at work? More healthcare, less police powers, a safe world with free vaccines for everyone. Rally Saturday, the 19th of March. Fight for public health and workplace safety. State Library... 12 o'clock noon.
5: This rally was initiated by Workers Solidarity and rally organisers are 3CR supporters. 3CR.
4: But we do have the wonderful music producer Thea Riley on the line. Hello Thea.
7: Hello, James.
4: So great as always, to hear your voice on the show. I always get really excited when I know you're gonna be on air. What have you been up to?
7: Um I've been playing a lot of guitar um in various tunings, uh, mostly for like heavier punk music, and just I guess trying to figure out how it's how I can like fit it into all my pop stuff as well.
4: Tell us about the processes that you go through when you write your songs.
7: Well, um, I can definitely say it's a lot of just sitting with what you're thinking about and being very aware of what that is as well. Um, So sometimes I avoid it completely. And other times, you know, you just feel that it's time maybe to process something and so I'll write a song like, there was one I wrote, and I, I came up with this lyric, 25 years of your finest silence. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good lyric. I think it's good. And, yeah, it's it's kind of sarcastic of a song, which is new to me. I, I took myself very seriously for a long, long time. But, um, you know, the prolificness that I've returned to at this point in my life really comes from you know, having a sense of humour about everything and, like, you know, just being able to put it all out on the page and say, that's terrible, that's really good, yeah.
4: Last time we spoke, you just finished your beautiful album, Sleepy Wolf, which was all about sleep. Did it help?
8: Yeah,
7: it did help. Um, Knowing my instruments, knowing myself, knowing my surroundings. Um, It's a very different place to write from in that fight-or-flight type of place, I guess I would compare it to mentally. Um, Yeah, it's still new to me, but um, I definitely prefer it. Yeah, and that album was the catalyst just to change in how I work and and what I require of myself reasonably. (laughs) So, yeah. And just What Brings Me Joy, too. That's another place where you, know, you think, oh, I can't write songs, but that's another place where songs come from, is just another another emotion, another thought. Like, it's all good.
4: Tell us a bit more about that Fright and Flight place that you mentioned before. That sounds like um, it gives great momentum, but it sounds exhausting.
7: Oh, uh, yeah. Um, there's a song called Really, I guess. I mean, there's a few songs inspired by... You know, hor- horrifying arguments that I've had with my ex-partners. Um, but you know, how far do we have to really push this before we like actually start to care about each other? Um, and I've learned to love, well, I guess myself and and the body that I've been given and a lot of little things that kind of took me to this place. It wasn't just Swift because, you know, all my songs used to come from that place. So even just learning to write again was like a whole journey and so vital. And it's such a process that I'm still in, you know, very much in the thick of it. I know it.
4: Tell us about um, your new single that's coming out soon, 2AM Tired Eyes.
7: Yeah, um... Well, stunningly, I wrote this track in Canada, um, just because I was really inspired there. Everything's really beautiful. And we went there, um, It was 2014, and I was very young. So, so anyway, 2 a.m. time. For better or for worse, um, still the most creative hours of probably any artist's day. But. Um, yeah, you've got to take care of yourself, it's a message to myself and to anyone else who knows they need to do it.
4: <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's a beautiful track and we're going to play it right now on the show. Uh, Thea I'm Riley, so excited. Thank you so much. It's always great to hear your voice. Uh, and thank And love you so much, James. love seeing you thriving as a musician. It's just awesome. Thanks for chatting. Thank you so much. Hey, The wonderful Thea Riley there and here's her track, 2am Tired Eyes. Riley there, 2am tired as You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, last week I chatted with Neil Farrow about wedge politics, the LGBTIQA plus community, and where the Labor Party has landed on the religious discrimination bill. Of course, with success comes jealousy, and there's lots of people that aren't particularly happy about LGBTIQ rights advancing. We are approaching election season, a federal election and a state election. What can the community do to avoid being wedged? Uh, Will be targets, I'm sure.
3: Look, I think we absolutely saw this wedging of the community kick off most recently in relation to... Um, the religious freedom, religious discrimination laws that were put through federally. So paraphrasing for those listeners who may not know the entire story, so there was a a religious freedom bill that was put forward um, by the the Liberal Party federally, um, and the Labor Party, along with the crossbenchers, uh, secured a number of amendments, which effectively meant that um, trans kids would be protected at school, and gay kids, gay and lesbian kids, would be protected at school, as would teachers as well. And um, because sort of the the crossbench Labor um, were successful in this motion, the Liberal Party then pulled the bill. So um, in going to the Senate, it it never hit the Senate floor. And I think that's a perfect example of sort of the wedge politics that we're likely to see on a number of issues going into the election where, you know, I particularly think the Conservative Party and the Liberal National Party federally is looking at how they can wedge Labor, how they can try and, you know, argue that Labor is going to be in a coalition with the Greens and scare off sort of centrist voters by that. And and so we have seen the start of a lot of wedge politics. And I think it's just really important for everybody to realise that, you know, politics and democracy is the art of the possible and the art of compromise. And, and nothing's ever perfect. But we really need to stick together as a community and make sure that we aren't wedged on these issues going into the election. And I think the the flip side of that and, and what we can do as a community in the LGBTI space is just not allow ourselves to become divided and fighting between the communities, whether that's, you know, the L, the G, the B, the T, the I or the Q, um, but effectively say, you know, if we've got internal differences, and of course we have them, but let's kind of keep a lid on them until after the election because any differences we have within the community will be amplified and used against us and and potentially to have long-term consequences for the LGBTI community depending on what happens with the federal election.
4: What do you make of where the Labor Party landed federally on the religious discrimination bill? I mean, they back the statement of belief clause. uh, They back the provision that would enable uh, state anti-discrimination law to be overridden. They've kind of wedged themselves, don't you think? What do you make of, of, of where they've landed and what are people in the party telling you as an insider?
3: the most interesting things so when i first heard and obviously you know listeners and and everybody knows i've ran for labor for a couple of times here in victoria and and when i first heard what labor's position was i was quite um shocked is probably part of it did touch base with a number of federal colleagues um both LGBTI identifying and straight allies and and i said look are you sure you know what you're doing here? Like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? And and they said yes. Just just trust us. So these are sort of um, big um, big players in our in our LGBTI movement in politics. Just just trust us. We're going to navigate this through, and we're going to get the outcome where you know we will protect trans and, and LGBTI people at school. We will protect trans and LGBTI teachers. You know just assume that we're going to get up there and and i was worried i won't lie for sort of the day or two after the position and before the vote i was exceptionally worried but you know if you look at the outcome we've actually achieved the outcome that we've wanted so you know the religious discrimination bill has been shelved and um, there's a commitment by labor to introduce protection should they win the next government for gay gay and trans or lgbti um students and teachers so at the moment under a variety of laws um, gay students and teachers can legally be expelled or removed or terminated from schools and so Labor's taken into the election a commitment that you know they're going to rectify this law already. So look I won't lie I was a bit worried as I said um, but I, I was told to have faith along with our sort of LGBTI parliamentarians in caucus and You know, we landed on what I think was a great outcome. The bill died um, and Labor's made a commitment for protection should they win government federally. But, yeah, a a little bit on the edge for a couple of days there, James.
4: Can you tell us who some of those big names in the Labor Party were that gave you those assurances?
3: Oh, look, there's a, there's quite a few LGBTI um, members and senators now across the Labor Party federally, and, and quite a few LGBTIQ staffers as well. And um, you know we're in regular conversations over these sorts of things, and um, yeah, so you know these are people I've I've known for a great many years, and um, it's good to see more and more of them in the caucus. And and obviously we get a bit, we're getting better outcomes with more LGBTI people in caucus.
4: So some senior Labor federal politicians gave you assurances
3: yeah so look we we've we've had lots of discussions over this and um, it was just keen to you know I expressed my concerns and and they assured me that you know we're trying to do the right thing and we'll do the right thing for the rainbow community and um, you know effectively we landed there in the end so um, I, I'm I was worried but pleased with where we've landed
4: so Neil does that mean if the bill does come back and if it does go to the Senate uh, that labor will vote it down in the Senate
3: look I think the, there's a practical issue now of I don't think there's actually enough sitting days now to bring the bill back before um, this parliament is over so the bill will probably lapse um, and you know it, it will lay and, and that's where it will end and obviously when parliament's prorogued and a new parliamentary term commences um, all bills that lapse are kind of left on the edges and Labor has made a commitment to introduce those protections to LGBTI, um, uh students sorry and, and teachers including in religious schools so you know that's a, a big step forward in that regard so you know, with Senate not sitting, um, I'm not sure the bill will even be presented. Um, but notwithstanding that, Labor did say that they're going to continue to make a whole heap of um, uh, improvements and suggestions should the bill come back in relation to the clauses that you raised concern over as well. Um, and they were just more confident that in the Senate they they might be able to get more of those amendments through. So if you, these are the ones that override state laws and, and some of the statement of belief provisions, So you know i don't think the bill's going to pop up again before the election um i think we've got a choice this election of you know, depending on who you vote federally, whether you want those protections for, for LGBTI students and teachers, which Labor's committed to doing, or whether we're going to have to go through this battle again around religious discrimination if the Conservatives are in government. So um, I'm hopeful it's the former and not the latter.
4: I mean, it must have ruffled quite a few feathers internally, especially within the Andrews government, because uh, Labor voted in the House of Reps and, and could potentially still vote in the Senate to pass legislation, pass amendments that overrides uh, their cornerstone policies and legislative achievements for our community, which has been anti-discrimination provisions, Um, there must have been some pretty heated discussions between some state MPs here in Victoria and in other states and their federal counterparts, surely.
3: Yeah, I actually... Look, I haven't been privy to any of the discussions between the state and federal colleagues in this space, but I do know that even some of the Liberal um, Party, of which there are five members of the Liberal Party who uh, crossed the floor to support Labor and the benches in the amendments that were successful. Um, and if you have a look, even some of those members of the Liberal Party were choosing to move and support the Labor amendments and and the crossbench um, because it was overriding state laws. And, and, you know, they've got a a philosophical belief over what the role of the state and and the federal government is. So, you know, I think it's a mixed bag. Daniel Andrews came out pretty quickly, as did Jacqueline Symes, our Attorney-General in Victoria, and pretty much said, you know, if these laws go through unchanged, i.e. the original laws that were proposed, then Labor was going to bring uh, high court or constitutional action to, to test the constitutionality of them. So, you know, I think we heard a, a, a fairly quick swing back from, from the Attorney-General here in Victoria and obviously the Premier. But I think a large number of state and territory premiers also pipped up as well. You know, one of the most astounding things I thought from a political perspective, is, you know, Dominic Perrottet, who's, you know, perceptually uh, quite a conservative um, religious person in New South Wales, obviously the premier up there, he came out and told Scott Morrison that, you know, this was a bad law, it wasn't needed, and he wasn't quite sure why Scott Morrison was introducing it. So, you know, it's interesting that even a, a perceived conservative religious premier... in a Liberal government in New South Wales was saying, Scott Morrison, like, pull your head in. We really don't need this law and it will do more harm than good. So, look, we got the outcome in the end. Um, Obviously, nobody uh, likes to go through the process, but we've just got to remain eternally vigilant. And I think leading into this election, we've just got to be really careful as a community that we don't allow ourselves to be played um, for political wedge issues, really. So, you know, my only hope and aspiration in that is um you know, if we do have disagreements between now and the election, which are always open, but let's try and try and keep them in house and um not let them spill over because we're already seeing um I'm not sure on the labs where on air, but um bull S uh, coming out over the US and, you know, all of the right wing commentators uh, speaking about, you know, if we'd spent more time worrying about sort of the war in Ukraine and less time thinking about pronouns, we would have got a better outcome and that's just rubbish. So, you know, we've just got to make sure we're not divided between now and the end of May when we think the election will be.
4: It's interesting. Do you think people are being a bit optimistic saying the Prime Minister won't try and bring it back before the election? I mean Rodney Crooms worried that he will try and get it through the Senate when uh when when the budget sitting is happening at the end of March. And considering how obsessed he is with this bill, he's, you know, kind of it's got his fingerprints all over it. Uh, and considering his win-at-all-costs mentality, I think it's quite feasible, don't you think, that he will try again?
3: Uh, look, he might try it in the Senate, but the government doesn't have a majority by any stretch of the imagination in the Senate. Um, the crossbenchers have sort of made their view known. Um, and then the other side of it, which is now the particular challenge, is um, Scott Morrison. Uh, The bill that Scott Morrison can introduce into the Senate is the one that Labor and the crossbenchers have amended in the lower house, which would give protections to trans and gay students and teachers. Um, And the religious lobby and and the Australian Christian lobby pretty much said, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but we don't want our religious protections if it means protecting trans students, which is an appalling thing to say. Um, But I just don't think, one, I don't think he's going to have enough time Two, even if he does introduce the bill, the bill he's introducing is effectively the bill that enshrines protections for trans and gay students and teachers, um, which the religious groups have said they don't want introduced. So, you know, notwithstanding the fact there's only a couple of sitting days, the uh, Liberal Party doesn't have a majority in the Senate. Um, So, you know, Rodney and I have had a great many disagreements on his time, but I think this is an example of, you know, (laughs) there's a a minuscule likelihood and, and I don't think the probability of success is anywhere near that. And I think we're just providing um, fuel to conservatives to kind of um, point out issues within the LGBTI community. I think that bill is dead this term. Um, and even if it does get through, it will be with the protections that offer trans and, and gay teachers and students um, the protections they deserve. So, you know, I have a different view on Rodney on this. and. I just caution making an, an election issue over something like this. I think, you know, we've won this battle. Let's try and win the war and, and get a better outcome in the next term of federal government.
4: All right, Neil, going to have to leave it there. Always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks for your time, Masavo.
3: Great to chat, James. Have a lovely day.
8: Used to be now no, no. Where did all the blue skies go? Poison is mm-hmm. the wind that blows from the Lord something is fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, mercy, mercy means all mm-hmm. oh, things and what they mm-hmm. used to be so mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. Oil mm-hmm. wasted on the oceans mm-hmm. and upon mm-hmm. our seas Fish full of mercury. Oh, oh mercy, mercy me. All oh, things ain't what they used to be. Oh, radiation underground and in the sky. Animals and birds who live nearby all Oh, mercy, mercy me. All things and what they use to be What about this Overcrowded land How much more be used from sinners Can't you stand
4: there, mercy, mercy, me, you are and In Your Face in 3CR with James, joined by April Holcomb from Community Action for Rainbow Rights. April, welcome back to the show. Thanks for
9: having me again,
4: James. Always great to chat with you. Now, of course, Community Action for Rainbow Rights uh, had a protest in Oxford Street in Sydney last Saturday uh, in the afternoon before the Mardi Gras. How would it go? Yeah, it was fantastic. And um, it was
9: uh, quite a merciful day weather-wise. Um, given the three weeks of non-stop rain we've had. Um, it gave us a day of reprieve to have a, a great march down Oxford Street.
4: Fantastic. Now, it must have been great to actually have a protest for Mardi Gras because this year's Mardi Gras parade was in the Sydney showgrounds.
9: Yeah, exactly. They've uh, followed on from last year, and I think um, I think it's become a bit of a, a business model for them to um, to have it the indefinite future uh, in the stadium. Um, So to make sure that Mardi Gras sticks to its roots of protest, taking over the streets, causing a disruption, um, fighting for social justice, it was really good to, to, to stay on message like that.
4: Now, I know, of course, Um, last year when they had to kind of, you know, lock in how they were going to do the parade this year, because of COVID, they were a bit unsure, so they stuck to the safe option, which was doing it in the, at the showgrounds, which is great, but do you kind of feel like it's kind of lost its way a bit, and that just kind of underscores it, you know, stuck in the middle of the showgrounds and not on the streets protesting? Yeah, look, I think well,
9: well before even it moved to the stadium, you know, there's been a shift Um, in Mardi Gras, which is about um, its commercialisation and its, uh, you know, the inclusion in the parade of of forces that I think are forces of oppression and social injustice in our society like corporations, like the police force and corrections officers, um, like the Liberal Party and so on. So I think that was never what the original Mardi Gras was about, which was a a riotous event against police oppression, um, you know, and people suffered tremendously uh, at the hands of the police um, because, of, because of that and for standing up for it. And, and people at that time also uh, were part of many different um, radical movements going on at the time against the Vietnam War, uh, or had been, you know, against the Vietnam War, um, for black rights, for women's rights, for workers' rights, uh, part of the trade union movement. So I think that is the real spirit of it, um, and that's been gone for quite a while as the kind of pink dollar and the you know forces of capitalism have corrupted that and made it a bit of an apolitical um, parade. So I think it was good. We've used the, the shift to the stadium as an opportunity um, to keep the ground for the left in the parade. Um, you know, in many years uh, that I marched in the parade when it was happening uh, at night on Oxford Street, it was actually a battle for the left-wing floats like Community Action for Rainbow Right, who wanted to have explicitly anti-liberal, uh, anti-labor floats about, for example, the question of refugees or, or marriage equality. Uh, it was actually sometimes a battle not to be censored or restricted by the organisers uh, or, or the corporation of Mardi Gras, um, to get that political message out. So, these two last two years, they've moved it to the stadium. They have, you know, the COVID reason for that, but it's also an opportunity for the left to, um, to to claim that space again.
4: Do you think it's a bit of a sad irony in some ways that the Labor Party and the Liberal Party were marching at the showgrounds considering they both voted for the Religious Discrimination Bill and, of course, your protest in Oxford Street uh, Mm -hmm. before the Mardi Gras was actually protesting against that very bill?
9: Exactly. It just feels like the marriage equality campaign all over again when um, the forces fighting for LGBT liberation and, and just basic equality were up against both major parties. Uh, and the Liberal Party, you know, obviously just out with their most vile bigotry. But the Labour Party always going along with that, making pathetic excuses for themselves. I even remember senators like Penny Wong, who was an openly gay senator, um, back in the day, um, uh, coming up and stumping up for the Labour Party to explain why marriage equality was wrong, or when Julia Gillard, as Prime Minister... Um, you know, explained why the Bible, which she didn't even believe in, but why the Bible's values against marriage equality um, for her was a legitimate reason to keep it banned. So all of that, and now today with the Religious Discrimination Bill, the Labor Party voting through this bill um, without most of the amendment, voting it through with the Liberal Party in the lower house, um, it's clear that, you know, as it's always been the case for LGBTI fighters, um, that the major parties have a vested interest in upholding homophobia, uh, transphobia, upholding oppression. Um, They often want to blame it on the voters, even though the voters are always well in advance of them, but they have a stake in that. They'll, They'll justify it one way or the other, and so it's really going to be outside of Parliament, outside of the circles of the politicians where the change comes from. Um, you know, and that's what the that's what the message of the Oxford Street March was this year.
4: Absolutely. Now, tell us about your demands. What what is um, Community Action for Rainbow Rights demanding?
9: Yeah, well, we've been ever since the marriage equality campaign, which we were, you know, we played the leading role in Sydney with, which was fantastic. You know, it culminated in twenty seventeen during the plebiscite with a rally of um, forty fifty thousand people um, in Sydney. One of the Biggest, if not the biggest, LGBTI rally, yeah, the biggest um, in Australian history. It's fantastic. And the whole thing was a watershed moment. Well, ever since then, the right have been trying to find uh, trying to find some opportunity to push back, to claim a consolation prize and so on. Uh, and the religious discrimination bill has been around since around 2018, 2019, uh, as, as an attempt to do that. We've been fighting it ever since then. In fact, even before the bills came out in its first version, we were fighting against the exemptions in the Sex Discrimination Act, um, Section 37 of that Act, which already allows and has, you know, for um, for a while allowed under Labor. Again, thank you, Labor, uh, allows religious schools to um, to sack, refuse to hire, etc., discriminate against LGBTI staff and students. Um, uh, because of their sexuality, gender identity, um, pregnancy status, and so on. So, um, ev- even before the bill uh, that we've been fighting for the last three years, we were fighting against existing exemptions in the law. Now, this bill is obviously trying to make those worse, and there are state-based equivalents of this bill as well. So, in New South Wales, Mike Latham has been trying, to, of One Nation, has been trying to pass laws. Um, uh, like the religious discrimination bill and some more extreme ones even as well around um, transgender education in schools, um, trying to ban that outright and make it a factable offence to talk about it. So basically our demand is every single one of these bills could be voted down by every single member of parliament. Um, no excuses, no amendments, no fudging. Um, every single parliamentarian needs to vote down every single... Uh, legislation that is designed as a consolation prize, as a clawing back, as a kind of first shot fired in a counter campaign of the of the religious right against um, against the gains that our community has made. Um, that is basically our, our our demand. And as long as there is legislation um, that the liberals or Labor or or One Nation, whoever, as long as there are political forces trying to pass these legislations. We believe that demonstrations on the street are the most crucial way to go forward because the politicians are not going to stop it. Labor's not going to stop it. They're going to capitulate. You have to create a fuss. You have to create a public disturbance. You have to show the public, you know, what is at stake. You have to inform people about the dangers of these bills and that people are willing to fight... um, against these things, and that is what galvanised our community in the fight for marriage equality and and changed uh, public opinion so dramatically on that front, and it's how we're going to kind of hold that public opinion, push it forward, motivate people to keep wanting to vote, um, to keep the pressure on uh, to destroy these bills and to really send a message to the religious right, like the Australian Christian lobby, these conservative forces, um, that they need to stop trying this it, basically. They have to give up. Um, That's, again, not something you can just make them do legislatively. You have to do it politically in a movement, in a mass movement. And that's, you know, those are our demands. No more bills. Defeat the the forces driving these bills and maximising the pressure on the politicians who are trying to pass them.
4: Another demand is no pride in detention. That's been controversial even for Mardi Gras. So it was good that you were actually protesting in the street, offer, offering an alternative vision uh, of community demands and actions.
9: Absolutely, like, um, and this, you know, this covers a lot of different fronts. Like, there are people who say, um, you know, for example, the cases of, um, you know, because this is the refugee issue. This is an absolute atrocity. You know, Australia has the worst refugee policy pretty much in the entire world and has exported that policy uh, to far-right governments, far-right forces um, around the world, especially in Europe. So in Europe, for the last, you know, five, six, seven years, um, they have shifted their refugee policy in the Mediterranean to an Australian-style one, and it has caused a dramatic increase in (laughs) drownings and deaths of innocent people trying to cross the Mediterranean. And even in Australia, where... The offshore detention centres uh, have, you know, the people who suffered for years and years in these hellholes have been moved to Australia. They now suffer for years and years in hotels in the middle of downtown Melbourne, for example, Park Hotel. People have been now in detention for nine years of their life, 25-year-old men who have not known anything but a cell since they were 16 years old, and they have committed no crime whatsoever. You know, this is the utter brutality uh, of the of the Labor and Liberal parties, who both support and have both pioneered this legislation. That's the utter brutality of them. It's also the brutality of the you know police and correctional officers in our society, because also for First Nations people, Aboriginal people in Australia, the oppression is extreme and severe. So I don't believe that the police. Oh, things have come so far. But for relations between LGBTI people and police. Firstly, I don't totally agree with that assessment, but it also would throw under the bus what's still happening to black people in this country. I don't want to march alongside those people. The whole point of my politics is to fight for a world where we don't have disgusting, oppressive armed forces um, that, you, that are there to criminalise the poor, demonise and oppress um, you know, marginalised communities. And basically, to uphold the system, so um, no pride and detention for refugees to come here. Ukrainian refugees, of course, but not just them. You know, uh, there have been, you know, refugees uh, from wars that the West is causing, uh, and they they get short shrift um, and are you know locked up and tortured by our government. So all refugees have to be welcome here, uh, and the police have to be abolished. They have to be defunded and abolished. That was the demand that. Two years ago was raised by black lives matter was not a pipe dream of a demand you know captured imagination around the world became a rallying cry for young people fighting for racial justice everywhere well the lgbti community is not divorced from is not cut off from those those fights and those demands um and of course we still also suffer at the hands of the police in terms of harassment um and brutality so uh those are really important uh issues for our community to hold on to and to keep fighting for, not just as a sort of symbolic thing, but as a genuine fight and determination to demilitarise and defund and abolish, you know, armed forces um, that aren't there to protect us but there to oppress us.
4: All right, April, going to have to leave it there. Wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Uh, always great to chat with you on three CR.
6: Thanks for having me
9: again, James. Cheers. Be-
0: I'm on this train. I'm on this train. I'm on this this downtown Downtown, underground New 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 York subway subway train. Red lines closed at Canal and Church. White smoke burning from a hole in the dirt. Peace train stroll on a goddamn word I'm on this train. I'm on this train. I'm on this train. I'm on this train. train I'm on this train I'm on this train I'm on this train I'm on this downtown underground New York subway train And I'm on this train 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 I'm on this
1: train on on this, train, on
4: this Look there, train song In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this programme Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.